All right, Jabal, say good morning. So today's daf is Yud Beis. We've got a lot to do, Baruch Hashem. So we are beginning on Yud Aleph Amud Beis. Yud Aleph Amud Beis. So I will say again, um, we left off, we left off um, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, yeah, 18 lines up from the bottom. So remember, again, we had the case in the Mishnah where the individual said, Hareini nazir nazir. I am a nazir, and it is obligatory upon me. L- literally, nazir means to shave a nazir. But of course, what we understand this means in context is that it's obligatory upon me to pay for the carbonos of a nazir. Okay? So remember, then a second guy comes along and says, Va'amar va'ani and me, me too, right? And it's upon me to also go ahead and bring the carbonos of the nazir. So remember, the Gemara was trying to figure out that when a person says va'ani, does va'ani just apply to becoming a nazir? Or does va'ani also really cover I'm a nazir? And also whatever that guy said, I also it also applies to me, meaning that just like he also became a nazir and took upon himself to bring carbonos for a nazir, I accept that same thing upon myself. So the Gemara says the following. The Gemara says, um, the Gemara says, so the Gemara left off with that question. So the Gemara said, Tashma, va'ani va'alai legaleach nazir. So remember again, so the Gemara quotes the Mishnah that said, that if a guy said, va'ani va'alai legaleach nazir, and me too, it's also obligatory upon me to go ahead and bring carbonos for a nazir, im hayu pikchim, so if they were smart, so megalchin ze'edzet. So we'll say in the case of the Mishnah, if the two guys are were wise, then what? Then they would each go ahead and essentially pay for the carbonos of the other. So the Gemara says, ka'amar va'ani va'alai. The fact that guy number two says, and I am a nazir, and it's upon me to go ahead and bring the carbonos of a nazir. Shmamina va'ani apalgedidiburi amri. So see, you see from here that va'ani. Only, only includes when it, when the second guy says va'ani me too. That me too only covers the first part of the first guy's statement. Meaning the va'ani only says I'm going to be a nazir like him. But va'ani by itself does not obligate the second guy to also bring carbonos like the first guy. So the gemara says, Omri in so I understand, that's fine, va'ani covers part of the statement, but does va'ani cover the first part of the statement or the second part of the statement, to which the Gemara says, Mine, we could prove this from the Mishnah itself. From so the fact that he said va'alai, va'ani, excuse me, the fact that the second guy said, and me too, va'alai legalech, and upon me it is obligatory to bring carbonos for nazir, shmamina va'ani al tchilas mashma. You see from here that what? That va'ani simply includes the second guy in the first part of the first guy's statement. But again, would not, va'ani would not go ahead and also obligate the second guy to bring carbonos like the first. How do you know this? The Olam First guy said, first guy said, I am a Nazir, and it is upon me to bring the Karbanos for another Nazir on the day of his, uh, the day that he finishes his Nazirite vow. Second guy says, 
Me too. So Rav Huna is suggesting that va'ani, when the second guy says va'ani, what that obligates him is what? Is in both becoming a Nazir like the first guy and also bringing carbonos for another Nazir like the first guy as well. So the Gemara says, But yet, if that's the case, then why in the Mishnah does the second guy have to say, So the Gemara says, My va'alai, milsa. We'll say, so listen to what Rafuna suggests. He says that when the second guy says, that second guy is just simply affirming that which he already stated in Va'ani. In other words, sometimes people repeat themselves. Right? Sometimes people go ahead and they'll say one thing, and they'll go ahead and they'll repeat that statement to just simply affirm that which they said. So therefore, says Rafuna, Technically speaking, when the guy says, when the second guy says, va'ani, va'ani means me too, and me too means what? I'm included in everything that the second, the first guy said. Va'ani, I'm in as well. Whatever the first guy said, I am part of that as well. And va'alai, lagalayach nazir, is just simply affirming that which the first guy said. De'ilotem, I will say, again, let me clarify that once more. So what, the, what Rafun is suggesting is like this. We'll call him Ruvain. Ruvain comes along and says, Hareni Nazir, Va'alai Legaleach Nazir. Saying two things. I am a Nazir, and I'm also accepting upon myself to bring the carbonos of another Nazir on the day that he becomes, on the day that his Nazarite vow ends. Shimon comes along and says, Va'ani, me too. Me too. Rav Huna suggests that when Shimon says, Va'ani, me too, me too means what, Rav Osai? Means what? That I accept upon myself everything that Ruvain said both the Nazarite vow, as well as the obligation to bring the Karbanos for another person. I, if that's the case, then why does Shimon have to go further and say what? Va'alai legaleach Nazir. Why does he have to explicitly articulate that I'm going to bring the Karbanos for another Nazir? To which Rafuna says, to reinforce that which he said before. Because sometimes people repeat things. It does, it does happen. Sometimes people repeat things over and over just simply to affirm and to reaffirm that which they said. Because if you don't say this, Seifa, Diktani Seifa, we're going to see this is the next Mishnah. We'll say if a person says, it is upon me, literally, to means to bring half of the carbonos of a Nazir. So he's committing to, to furnish a Nazir with obviously half of the value of the carbonos he has to bring. And, this, and Shimon comes along, second guy comes along and says, Oh, Va'ani, me too. So the Gemara says, Now, boss, remember, in case number two, which is the next Mishnah, interestingly enough, there's not two statements being made. See, in our Mishnah over here, these guys are accepting two things upon themselves. Number one, anajanazirus. Number two, an obligation to furnish someone else with carbonos. In case number two, which is the next Mishnah, the guy is just simply saying, I accept upon myself to furnish the value of half of car- I accept upon myself to give a Nazir half of the value of his carbonos. Second guy comes along and says, Vani, me too, alai Nazir. Now says the Gemara. So remember, so remember, in this case over here, there's only one thing being being committed to. If that's the case again, then why does the second guy have to say Vani? And alai legalei achatzi nazir. Elamai ka'amr alai b'hamilsa ha'chanami ki'amr alai b'hamilsa. Therefore, it must be that what? That when the guy says, ani, when, it, when the second guy comes along and says, va'ani, me too, me too means what? That whatever the first guy said, amin. Amin, whatever he said, uh, same thing for me. And that applies to both parts of the first guy's statement, to become a nazir and to furnish the karbanos of a nazir. 
Aye, if that's the case, then why does he have to add in va'alai lahavi karbanazir or va'alagaleachnaz? Why does he have to say that? That statement just simply reaffirms the va'ani. Amrle Rabbah, so Rabbah says, one second, doesn't make sense. Hachi hashta i amrit pishlama reisha tzvicha seifalo tzvicha. So let's analyze this. So Rabbah says, if you say, therefore, that this statement is necessary in the reisha, because in the reisha member, which is our Mishnah, the guy is committing, both guys are committing to two things. Therefore, again, seifalo tzvicha, and the seifa case is not necessary. Tani seifa delo tzvicha mishum reisha de tzvicha. Both sides, stylistically, sometimes the Mishnah, to, to preserve Mishnaic symmetry, will say something in one case that is not necessary because in the other case it is. But it'll state it in the unnecessary case in order to provide, in order to preserve that symmetry. El i amrit reisha lo tzvicha, seifa, excuse me, i amrit reisha lo tzvicha, seifa lo tzvicha, tani reisha de lo tzvicha, tani seifa de lo tzvicha. But if you want to say, on the other hand, that lamaisa, it's not necessary, even in the reisha, then could it be that if you're stated, if it's not necessary in the reisha, and in the seifa as well, meaning why would you state unnecessary information in both the reisha and the seifa? So I will say, what comes out over here, and again, we're not finished with this, but fundamental machlokis as to how to interpret his words. Meaning, do we say, when he's, when the second guy comes along and says, va'ani va'alai, do we say, va'ani va'alai are two different statements? Va'ani commits to the first part of what Ruvain said, va'alai commits Shimon to the second part of what Ruvain said? Or do we say, va'ani ultimately is an all-inclusive statement? When Ruvain makes his nether, truth is, it's comprised of two parts, a Nazarite vow and an obligation to bring karmanas for someone else. And when Shimon comes along and says, Va'ani, me too. That really covers everything. Va'alai is ultimately an affirmation of the va'ani. So that's the machlokes in the Gemara, and the Gemara doesn't solve that machlokes, leaves it open for now, and takes this machlokes in a different direction. Amr Rabbi Yitzchak Pai Yosef, Amr Rabbi Yochanan. Homer Yashul is a fascinating case. Person says to his shaliach, say the Kaddish Isha. Stam. Bosa, listen to this. A guy says to his shaliach, do me a favor, Go out and betroth a woman for me. Now I will say, this guy clearly trusts his shaliach a lot. Does not tell him who. Just says, you know, find a nice girl for me and go ahead and be makadish for me. And what happens, I will say? And what happens? So let's say the shaliach dies. The shaliach dies. He say he, he was makadish someone. He's on his way back to tell me who I'm married to. And he dies. So I will say, so I don't know who I am married to. So what's that look, huh? He, this guy is never permitted to get married. I mean, let's say, let's say Ruven said this shaliach. Ruven is never permitted to marry anyone. Why? Because the chazaka, the shaliach, went ahead and did his shlichus. And therefore, what happened? Because, because I did not, because Ruven did not tell the shaliach who to go ahead and betroth. Therefore, again, first of all, as you see, there are two principles that play over here. Well, not two principles, one principle. Principle number one is that Chazaka, that a shliach does what he's asked to do, which means the shliach went ahead and betrothed someone. Only problem is, I don't know who. So we'll say, so what's the issue over here? The issue over here is, the issue over here is that it's pass. I can't marry anyone else. Why? Because it's possible that the woman I'm going to marry is a sister or a mother, or a relation, some, a prohibited relation to the woman that I am betrothed to. Therefore, out of Suffolk, out of Suffolk, I'm not, Ruben is not allowed to marry anyone. So it says, So, listen to this. Listen to this. This 
look at Rashi for just a moment. Kanstuma echad mechay bekinin kigon hazav vahazav violedes umetzora. So we'll say you have certain people who, from certain types of tuma, are obligated to bring an, uh, a bird offering. So, for example, a zav or a zava, a yoledes woman that gives birth. Someone who's purifying himself or herself from saras, and you have to bring again two turtle doves or two pigeons. One bird is brought for a chatas, one bird is brought for an ola. So we'll say, so what happens? So I have two birds in front of me. I did not yet designate which one is for the chatas, which one is for the ola. And before I get a chance to designate, one of them flies away. One of them flies away, no longer here. Either it flew away, or again, it got mixed in with other chatos that, that are just left to die, which we're not going to get into right now, or one of them died. So we'll say, so what do I do? So this is an easy one. Yikach zog l'sheni. So we'll say, this is an easy one. Why? Because nothing's been designated. Because nothing's been designated, what do I do? I just go ahead and purchase another bird. And Shalom Yisrael, ve'ilukhan mefureshes. I will say, let's say I have a bird pair. I have a bird pair, two, two birds, and I did designate them. I said one of them is a chatas, one of them is an ola. So we'll say, remember again, once you've designated an animal for a particular problem, once you've designated a bird, so those designations cannot be swapped. Those designations remain intact. So listen to this. So the ilukan mifureshes, if again the designations have already been made, then ain lo takana. Then ultimately, again, there is no remedy. There's no remedy, meaning you're stuck. You're stuck. So the Gemara says, but interestingly enough, the ilu sharkinin ba'ama miskanan. But we'll say, here's what's interesting. See, okay, so if I went ahead, I have my birds, I'm ready to offer them. One of them is a chatas, one of them is an ola. They fly away. They, one of them flies away. So we'll say, I don't know which bird is left. So I'm stuck. I'm stuck, I meaning I can't really do it. Essentially, what, what ends up happening with that other bird is it's just left to die. There's nothing to do with it anymore. So what says, here's what's interesting. So what about, what, what the Gemara does not raise says, what the Gemara does not raise says, Reish Lakish is, that what about, what about, let's say, so now let's say I want to go out and purchase new birds. So why don't I have to be Choshesh that what? Maybe the bird I'm going to purchase is the same one that flew away, and the one that flew away was, let's say, designated as a chatas, and now I want to use it as an ola. Meaning, you understand what the cash is? He's based in the cash based on what we just learned. I send my shaliach to go out and betroth the woman. And what happens? The shaliach does so, comes back, dies on the way back. I don't know who, I don't know who he betrothed for me. So what's ta'aloch? I can't marry anyone lest she be the relation of the woman who is betrothed to me. So I don't understand over here, says Rabbi Yochanan, says Rish Lakish, in this case over here, why don't I say that I should never be able to buy a new bird? Why? Because it's possible that the new bird I'm going to buy is the same bird that escaped. Now both say, now say, so what's wrong with that? Oh, here's the big problem. Because remember, we're dealing with the case over here of where the bird that escaped was already designated as a particular carbon. I don't remember which carbon it was designated for before another carbon. So maybe I'm going to be purchasing the same bird, and I might say, the first time I designated it as a chatos, and I want to try to, to repurpose it as an ola, and that doesn't work. To which the response, So to which Rabbi Yochanan responds to Ishlakish, you're comparing apples and oranges, meaning in the case of say of the woman, literally she doesn't move. She doesn't move, as opposed to the birds that do move. Now, what does that mean? So this is actually very interesting. Again, this is a more technical piece, but very quickly. 
there's a chilik in what we call, when you have a suffix with something that is established in place versus a suffix with something that is mobile. So when there's a suffix with something established in place, there's a halachic principle of kol kavua, Whenever you have something established in place, so we assume that it's like a 50-50 as to what the object is. If, however, something moves, if something is dislodged from its place, it's mobile, then we go after the rove. The paradigmatic example of this is, let's say you live in a city where there are nine non-kosher butchers and one <laughs> kosher butcher. So most I say, if I go ahead and I find a piece of meat in the marketplace, I must assume that what? That's what? That it's not kosher, right? Because the mice again, rove. No, but, however, if I go into a store and I bought meat, and again, I'm not sure which store I went into because it's kavua, because the suffix ultimately is fixed in place, it's kemechta mechta. It's like a 50-50 possibility. The halacha deals that in different ways. So the Rabbi Yochanan says over here, it's apples and oranges, meaning when a bird, a bird is mobile. So because of that, when you go ahead and you go to purchase a new bird, the statistical probability is that what? The bird that you're buying now is not the bird that you lost. However, again, because the suffix regarding a woman was a suffix that established not out in the world, but rather fixed in place, for example, in her home or something like that, or her father's home, therefore, again, that's kamechza, mechzadamia, therefore, again, you can't follow rope. You can't go and follow the majority. We'll say, take a look. Doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make a difference. So look, look at, look at the idea over here. First, it happens to be him, because why, why set it up as a case of someone else? Meaning, either way, there's always a suffix. Maybe the bird that I'm getting is the bird that I lost. So look at the, look at the rush for just a moment. The rush says, "Aminu lecha iser dinecha." The rush says, "The b'shosh shekid shashliach haysanacha bekavua bebeisa." Because the assumption is that when the shaliach was mekadesh the woman, she was established in place in her home. Hilchach haysachashuva. Therefore, I say, again, she's established amongst all women in the world, like a 50-50. So therefore, it says, let's go back to the Gemara, just because of time. So the Gemara says, I I said, maybe you'll say, maybe the case over here is where the shaliach did not patrol her at home, but rather patrolled her in the marketplace. And therefore, again, I will say, patrolling her in the marketplace makes her mobile. If she's mobile again, then maybe we look at rove and not mechza al mechza, to which the Gemara says, no, 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 even so, hasam hadra lenichusa. I will say, at the end of the day, again, even there, even if he patrolled her in the marketplace, so she was mobile, at some point in time, what? She's going home. And therefore, again, she will become what's called kavua, fixed in place. Gab, the Gemara says, Gabe Khan, mi hadra. But again, by a bird. Do we assume that a bird is going to go back to its nest? Amurava, So therefore, again, Rabbi Yochanan raises this kasha on Rish Lakish. Or I should say, Rish Lakish raises this kasha on Rabbi Yochanan. And Rabbi Yochanan effectively refutes it by saying that the case of the woman and the case of the bird are really two different cases. Umode Rava, excuse me, Amurava, Umod Rabbi Yochanan, but Rabbi Yochanan will agree in what? Bi'isha she'ein la lobas v'lo basbas v'lo basbein v'lo aim v'lo aim aim v'lo achos. So we'll say so. Rabbi Yochanan will agree in a case of a woman who does not have a daughter, does not have a granddaughter from her daughter, does not have a granddaughter from her son, does not have a mother, does not have a grandmother, and does not have a sister. Even though I will say that again, so actually, before we get to this last case, essentially, Yochanan will say that if the woman has no relatives, if she has absolutely no female relatives, then what? Then the guy could marry her. 
Why not both sides? Because again, remember, in Rabbi Yochanan's case, the Shaliach went ahead and betrothed someone. What's the problem? I don't know who he betrothed. So I have to be choshesh that maybe the woman who I'd want to marry now is a relative of the woman whom I, who, who, who was originally betrothed to me. So if the woman I'm about to marry now has absolutely no female relations, then Lemaisa, again, there's no problem for me marrying this woman because, again, there's no chashash that maybe I'm betrothed already to one of her relatives. But listen to this interesting caveat. Velo achos, the afapi, shahaisala achos, Listen to this. Now, even if she had a sister, even if she had a sister, as long as her sister was married at the time that I sent my shaliach to go ahead and betroth a woman to me, so still I could marry this woman, even if her sister subsequently got divorced. Listen, let, let, me, let me clarify this a little bit. So now remember, the case that we're dealing with over here is that I sent my shaliach and I tell him, go be Makadesh a woman. And I trust the shaliach to such a degree that I don't even tell him who. I just go, so what happens? Shaliach does so, we assume Chazaka shaliach did so, dies on the way back home. I now, right, Ruven meets a girl, we'll call her Leah. We'll call her Rachel, right? He meets Rachel. So he wants to marry Rachel. What's the problem? We're concerned that maybe Rachel is, is the relative of the woman, the mysterious woman who he's already married to, but he just doesn't know her name. So says Rabbi Yochanan, if Rachel has absolutely no female relatives, no daughter, no mother, no grandmother, no granddaughter from her daughter, no granddaughter from her son, no female relatives, then what? Then Lamaisa Ruvain can marry her. Now, the Gemara says one additional novelty. Let's say Rachel does have a sister. Sister's name is Leah. But Leah was married at the time that Ruvain sent his shaliach. Even though Leah subsequently got divorced, Ruvain could still marry Rachel. Listen to this. Ruvain is still permitted to marry Rachel. What's the reason? My time, because at the time that Reuben appointed the shaliach to go out and to find a woman for him to marry, Rachel's sister Leah was married, and Kimashvi shaliach b'milsa dekaima kame. B'milsa dekaima kame, lo mashvi shaliach. And also listen to this. When a person appoints a shaliach, he only appoints a shaliach to betroth the woman who is currently available to him. But a woman who is not currently available to him, he does not appoint a shaliach to betroth her. So since at the time of the appointment of the shaliach, Leah was married, therefore again, Leah was off limits to Reuben. Therefore again, the shaliach would not have had in mind to go ahead and betroth Leah, even if what? Even if Leah subsequently got divorced. So we'll say here this novelty. So in this case over here, when Reuben meets Rachel, he wants to marry Rachel. I but one second, Rachel has a sister, and she has this, and maybe maybe the sister was the one who he was originally betrothed to. We say no. Even if Rachel, even if Leah is now divorced, as long as Leah was married at the time that the Shaliach was appointed, so there's no chashash that the Shaliach betrothed Leah for Ruvain, because when a person appoints a Shaliach, he only appoints a Shaliach to do something that is feasible now. Since it was not feasible at the time of the appointment of the Shalichos, for the Shaliach to betroth Leah, why not? Why not? Because she was married. Therefore, there's no chashash that even though she was subsequently divorced, that she was the woman whom Reuven is betrothed to, and therefore Rachel is the woman of a woman he's already married to. Okay. So the Gemara says like this. So the Gemara says, Tinan. 
you would have more future with him later on? There's, there's a certain amount of time that elapses over here. So the mu- must have occurred is, at the time of the appointment of the Shlichos, they were married. Leah was married. Then at some point in time, between when the time that the Shliach dies, and ultimately, again, the time that the Shliach was dispatched, so Leah got divorced. Correct, correct. We only assume that a Shliach is betrothing a woman who was permitted to Ruvain at the time that the Shlichos was commissioned. But she's not married now. No, she, let's say she is married. So there's no chashash. No, because that would be too far removed already. That she wasn't a Kodesh, she's been married to someone else. I mean, why do you even have to get into that? She's a married woman. Correct, but that but that's not a novelty. Right? Well, the Kiddush is that she has a divorced sister. She has a single sister. That's the novelty we're looking for over here. So even, right, in your case, of course. But even in this case, the Gemara is saying that Reuben can still marry Rachel. So listen to this. So the Gemara says, Tinan, so the Gemara is going to ask a kasha on this, Tinan, so the Gemara says, Tanan, Harini Nazir, Valai Legaliach Nazir. Listen to this. So now you think it to yourself. I mean, this is really interesting. Gemara, but what does this have to do with Mesachas Nazir? Oh, I'm going to tell you. Tanan, Harini Nazir, Valai Legaliach Nazir. What did our Mishnah say? Ruvain, Ruvain says, I'm a Nazir. And it's obligatory upon me to go ahead and bring the karbanos for another nazir. So what's talacha? V'shama chaveiro va'amar va'ani va'alei legaliach nazir. And then we'll call him Shimon. Shimon here is Ruben's declaration. He says, oh, va'ani, I'm in also va'ani, so to me. And I'm also going to bring karbanos for a nazir. So what's talacha? Im hayu pikhin megalchin zedzeh. If they're smart, what can they do? Remember, they both committed to two things. They both committed to become Nazirim and to bring Karbanos for another Nazir besides themselves. So if they're smart, what, what could they do? Ruvain will bring Shimon's Karbanos. Shimon will bring Ruvain's Karbanos. So therefore, no one's out financially. So the Gemara says, listen to this. I understand why... Remember, what did the Mishnah just say? The Mishnah just said that essentially, when you, or the Gemara just said, excuse me, that when you go ahead and you appoint a shaliach, so really, when you make a declaration, essentially your declaration is based on present circumstances. But it's not based on anticipatory circumstances. So therefore, says the Gemara like this, you know, I understand when Shimon makes his declaration of Vani. I understand why he could bring the Karbanos for Ruvain. Why? Because Ruvain's neder is already in existence. Ruvain's already a Nazir. So I understand why Shimon could fulfill his neder of bringing Karbanos for a Nazir for Ruvain, because Ruvain, it's already it's already in existence. However, but when Ruvain makes his declaration, what's the issue? Shimon is not yet a Nazir. I'm going to say, take a look at the last rush on the page. El Akadma, Bishash Akibel Alav Legaleach Nazir, Akati Lo Nazir Hasheni. You know, when Reuven makes his declaration, Shimon is not yet a Nazir. Therefore, Veheich Neemar Shedaita Hayo Lepotro, Im Yekabel Alav Nazirus, Halo Masik Inish Adaite, just return the page for just a moment, Bemadlo Kaim Kame. So you're going to here's what's interesting. How, how is Reuven allowed to fulfill his neder? Through Shimon's Nazirus, when what? 
when Shimon's Naziris did not yet exist at the time that Ruve made his declaration. Well, so in other words, what you were just telling me before is that when people make statements and people create realities, whether it's for Shlichos or anything else, realities are based on what? Are based on what? Are based on present realities. And therefore, when people say things or people stipulate things, they have in mind for what is currently in effect. So therefore, I don't understand. If, and therefore, again, again, I'll say, therefore, remember in the previous case, when Shimon goes ahead and appoints a shaliach to go ahead and betroth the woman, what does he have in mind? For women who are permitted to meet at the time that I'm making you a shaliach. That's what I have in mind for. And therefore, again, if Rachel's sister Leah is married at the time of the appointment of the shaliach, even though she subsequently divorced, there's no chashash that the shaliach went ahead and betrothed Leah for Ruvain. So I don't stand over here also. How could it be that Ruvain should be able to fulfill his obligation towards, towards Shimon, when at the end of the day, when Ruvain made his neder naziris, what? Shimon was not yet a nazir. Therefore, how could he fulfill his, his neder with bringing the kabbalos of Shimon? Because what the Gemara is presupposing is that Lamaisa, when Ruvain makes his neder to bring the kabbalos for a nazir, his, in, that statement by definition means what? I'm referring to someone who's already in the parsha of Naziros, not to someone who's not yet in the parsha. At the time that Ruvain made his neder, Shimon is not yet in the parsha. Therefore, how could Ruvain fulfill his neder by bringing the kabbalos of Shimon? Ali Hachi Kamar, this is what it means to say. When Ruve makes his neder, what he means to say is, Imeshkachna Dahavi Nazir Agalche. What Ruvain essentially means to say, I will say, is that if I find someone who is a Nazir, I will bring his carbonos on his behalf. In other words, that Ruvain does not mean to limit his statement to somebody who is currently a Nazir. Rather, his statement means that, look, at some point in time, I'm going to run across someone who is a Nazir. Whether he's a Nazir now or he's a Nazir later on, it doesn't matter. But at some point in time, I'll find someone who's a Nazir and I'm going to bring his karbanos. Hachenami. Hachi kamarla. So why don't you say the same thing over here by the marriage case? So says, why don't say something by the Kiddushin, by, by the Kiddushin case? Then maybe Ruben says to Sheikh, listen, you know, do me a favor, go be Makadish woman, and you know what? Go, I'm, the pool, the pool is a large pool, meaning whoever is available to me at the time you find them, meaning which means that even if a woman is currently, is currently married. So perhaps Ruben is saying to the Shaliach, you know, if she's available by the time you meet her, even if she's married now at the time of the appointment of the Shaliach, if she's available when you meet her, please betroth her for me. Now, I will say, if that's what he's saying, then what? Then what? Then Lemaisa, again, we run into a problem. Because then when Ruvain meets Rachel, wonderful girl, and he finds out that what? That she has a divorced sister. And even though she was married at the time of the appointment of the Shaliach, but if she was divorced sometime relatively soon after the appointment of the Shaliach, it's possible that what? That ultimately, again, she is betrothed to Ruvain. If that's the case, then Ruvain can't marry Rachel. Why? Because he's already married to Rachel's sister. To which the Gemara says, Amri, lo mashvi in a shliach, ele b'milsa de matzi avid hashta. B'milsa de la matzi avid hashta, lo mashvi. Bosa to which the Gemara says, no, this is a din in shlichos. Shlichos is a person only appoints a shaliach for something that he himself is capable of doing right now. Both remember, a shaliach is an extension of myself. He's an extension of my arm. So therefore, a person only appoints a shaliach to do something that I myself could do right now. But something that I myself cannot do right now, then what? Then what? Then the shaliach, the shlichos, would not be commissioned. I will say that this is very important. What this is saying now is that this is talking about the mechanics of shlichos. That meaning, shlichos means you are an extension of me. Whatever I could do now, 
you could do now. Whatever I can't do now, you can't do now either, even if what? Even if circumstances change. Now, say, now what does that mean? If at the time I appoint you, Leah is married, which means that what? That even if I wanted to betroth her, I could not. Therefore, again, you as my shaliach cannot either. Which means that even if Leah's circumstances change, nevertheless, you, you the, the qualifications or the scope of your shlichus, Shabbosa, is defined when... It's a very important idea, very, very, very nuanced idea. The scope of your shlichus is defined when... At the moment that the shlichot, that the shliach is commissioned, which means that even if circumstances change, your scope does not. Therefore, what the Gemara is suggesting is at the time of your, if at the time of your shlichos, Leah was a married woman. Therefore, what that means that at the time of your shlichos, you would not have the right to betroth her on my behalf, even if her circumstances change and now she's divorced. Nevertheless, what what? you still cannot betroth her on my behalf. So the Gemara is suggesting this is a din in shlichos, that the nature of the shlichos is kind of frozen in time at the time that it was created. So even if other circumstances change, the shlichos does not. So the is that true? Tashma, ha'amr la'apotropos, so we actually had this earlier, person says to an apotropos, meaning guys going overseas, he leaves someone in charge of his household, and he says the apotropos, kol nedarim shetadur ishtini kain ploni, any nidaram that my wife vows from now until the time that I come back from my travels, do me a favor and annul them for her. And the apotropus, in fact, does. The makes, <coughs> makes nidaram. And the apotropus annuls them. I might have thought that maybe you would think that what? That the, uh, the nidaram should be annulled. Talmud Lomar. So Rabbi Yosha says, no, it doesn't work. Why? Because it's only a husband who has the ability to annul nidarim, right? Only husband who has the ability to annul that. Rabbi Yonasan Amar, Rabbi Yonasan says, Rabbi Yonasan seems to disagree, and he says that what? No, it's not true. There's a kind of shlucho adam kimoso. A person's agent is an extension of himself. In the same way that a husband has the ability to annul vows, so to what? The shaliach does so as well. So the Gemara listen to this. Let's go back to Rabbi Yosha for just a moment. So the reason Rabbi Yoshia says that a shaliach can't do it is why. It's exerts a of the Pasuk says, meaning the Pasuk teaches us that again, it's only a husband who could uphold or annul vows. Now, interestingly enough, what we can infer from that is, had there not been a Pasuk, meaning had the Pasuk not stated anything, the Allah would have been that what? that the apotropis would have been permitted to go ahead and annul the vows. Yet, interestingly enough, the ilu gabe didei, but yet by the husband himself, Tanya, it is said, ha'omer le'ishto, kol nedarim shetaduri, mikhan va'ad sha'avol mi'wakom ploni, yukayamit lo'amar klom. Well, so listen to this. If a man is going overseas, and he doesn't even have to be overseas, but a man says to his wife, any nedarim you make, actually, no, he's going overseas. From now until I return from my trip, should be annulled. So I'll say, what's Excuse me, should be upheld. So what's Lo Omar Klum. The statement is meaningless because the only way for a husband to uphold the nether is how? To hear the nether and then to actively uphold it. However, again, Harahain Mufar, let's say he proactively annulled all of the nadarm. So what's Rabbi Eliezer Omer Mufar. Rabbi Lazar says that the nadarim are Mufar, they're annulled. 
vechram the chum say ain't no for that they are not an old. So ki kasaka that so let's listen to this. So I say so now what do you see over here? You see over here is that a husband does not have the ability to go ahead. Actually, I should say it's machlokes chachamim and rabbalazar. As far as husband has the ability to do this himself. Now remember again, I'm both say Here's what's interesting. In case number one, husband is going overseas, and he says to his shaliach, listen, do me a favor, and any nidaram that my wife makes, please annul them. Please annul them. So what does Rabbi Yoshia say? It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work, Rabbi Osai? Because the Pasuk says, that annulment is only something that could be done by a husband, not by a shaliach. Now, the Gemara says it's interesting that that's the only problem with this. So it sounds like according to Rabbi Yoshia, had the Pasuk not said anything, then what? Then what? Okay. Then this would have worked. Which sounds like proactive annulment of vows works. Works. But yet, interestingly enough, a husband doesn't have that, right? Meaning we just got say we just got finished saying that what? We want to say, how do you define shlichus? A shaliach is an extension of the mishaliach of the of the of the of the what do they call it? Um, the principle, principle. Yes. That's right, right, right. The shaliach, the agent, is an extension of the principle. Therefore, whatever the principle can do, the shaliach can do. And and again, by extension, whatever the principle cannot do, the shaliach can't do either. So now, let me get this straight. So Rabbi Yoshi is saying, in a case where husband says to the shaliach, "I'm going away. I want you to just proactively annul all of my wife's vows. I want you to annul all the vows she's going to make." That it's, it works, except for the fact that, what, that there's a pasuk, which sounds like that if there's not a pasuk, so ultimately the the, the apotropist could have done this. But yet the husband himself can't proact. I should say, if the husband can the husband himself proactively on all vows? Well, that's a machlokis between Rabbi Lazar and Chacham. The Rabbi Lazar says yes. Chachamim say no. So you see over here, there's the possibility that the shaliach can do something that what that what that the husband himself cannot do. To which the Gemara says kasaka daitcha. Maybe Rabbi Yoshia states his position it's according to the Rabbanon, the Amri, Lo Matsi Mefer. According to the Rabbanon, who say that a husband cannot proactively annul vows, and were it not for the fact that the Torah says that it's only a husband who could annul and uphold vows, Sabatropis have a Mefer, and Apatropis would in fact be able to go ahead and annul the vows. I Vidilma Alibu Drabi Ali Azar, Dumber Matsi Mefer. I have a maybe scratch of Aliazar who says that Lamaisa, the the husband canonal, Ihachi Lamali Lishve Shaliach. If that's the case, that a husband can proactively annul the vows, then why should he have to appoint a Shaliach at all? Lefer La Ihu, let him proactively annul all the vows before he leaves. To which the Gemara says, Kasavar Dilma Mishtalina Orasachna Omicharidna. To which the husband says, Maybe I'll get preoccupied, maybe I'll get busy, maybe there'll be other things going on, and I'll forget to proactively annul her vows, and therefore I want to appoint a Shaliach to go ahead and do so. So I will say, Salach Lamaisa. Remember, how do we, and I remember all of this got started with the case of Hare Alai. Just listen to this. So the so the Rambam, this is in Hilchos Nedarim, Perek Ches Halacha Yutes. So just listen to this. So the 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 Rambam writes, Haomer Hareini Nazir Vaalai Legaleach Nazir. So a person says, I am a Nazir, and it is incumbent upon me to bring Karbanos for a Nazir. 
And his friends heard and said, Oh, me too, me too. So Paskins that when Shimon says va'ani, va'ani just includes Shimon in the Nedir Nazirus, but does not require Shimon to also bring Karbaros like Ruvain. But the Ramam goes on. But if Shimon says that Ani, I'm a Nazir, then what? Then Shimon goes ahead and oblig- obligates himself both in the Nedir Zeros as well as in the obligation to go ahead and bring Kabbalah. So, say, so the Rambam Paskins that when Shimon just says Va'ani, Va'ani only includes him in what? In the first part of Ruvain's statement, namely a Nedir Nazirus. But Va'ani does not include him in the obligation to bring Karbanos. It's only if he explicitly says that what? Only if he explicitly says, Va'ani va'alai legaleach nazir, that he's included in the obligation to bring Karbanos as well. So let's just begin the next Mishnah for just a moment. Says the Mishnah, nazir. So we'll say this, we actually quoted this case. So Ruvain says, it is incumbent upon me to bring the Karbanos of, to bring half of the Karbanos of Nazir. We'll say, so in this case, what he's saying over here, remember in all these cases, you're not acting bringing the animal, you're pledging the value. Say, so let's say it costs $100 for the Nazir to bring his Karbanos. I am pledging to give the Nazir $50 for his Karbanos. And I will say, interestingly enough, remember in this case, Ruvain is not accepting upon himself a Nazir Nazirus. He's just accepting upon himself an obligation to pay for the Karbanos of a Nazir. It's incumbent upon me too to go ahead and pay for half of the Karbanos of a Nazir. So what's the halacha? Listen to this. Rabbi Meir says there's no such thing as half in a zeros, right? If you commit to paying for half, what have you committed to do? You've committed to paying for the whole. Chum on the other hand say that no, no, Ruvain only has to pay for the value of half of the Kabbalah of the Nazir, and Shimon only has to pay for half of the value of a Nazir, of the Kabbalah of the Nazir. So we'll, say, we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up with Emir Sashem this Gemara tomorrow. So again, remember, just bottom line, because it's always important to have a takeaway, Halacha Lamaisa, the Rambam Paskins, that again, if you have Ruvain making a Karban, excuse me, a Nadir, and that Nadir is comprised of two parts, namely, Vani, a Nadir Nazirus, and an obligation to bring Karbanos for another Nazir, and Shimon comes along and says, Va'ani, Va'ani itself only obligates him in the first part of the statement, not in the second part of the statement. If he wants to be obligated in the second part of the statement, he has to explicitly say, Va'alai legaleach nazir. We end off today with the machlokis between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim, where Ruvain says, I am obligating myself to bring half of the value of the Karbanos of a nazir. Rabbi Meir says, once you obligate yourself to half, you have in fact obligated yourself to what? To the whole. The Chum say, no, if you obligate yourself to half, half means half. Emir Hashem, Machlok is to be continued tomorrow.